Welcome to Shake and Bake Cast. Today's guest is Abigail Rokeson Woodall. Abigail is lecturer in Shakespeare and Theater at the Shakespeare Institute. She began her career as an actor before undertaking an MA and then PhD in Shakespeare. She has published books on Shakespearean verse speaking, Shakespeare for young people, and Shakespearean performance in contemporary theater. She is also editing A Midsummer Night's Dream and Hamlet for the New Arden in Performance Editions. Professor Rodison Woodall, it's so nice to, of you to join us today. Great Thank pleasure. you for making the time. It's a great pleasure. I'm very pleased to be very pleased to be speaking to you. Well, uh, I'm very very interested in what new approaches we might be seeing to Shakespeare in contemporary theater. It's a sort of, it's an unfair question to ask because uh, there's so many instances uh, that you could probably uh, cite. But uh, I'd love a, a general kind of uh, idea of what's changed. Um, I think I can only really speak, I think, to what's happening in the UK at the moment, particularly since that's what I what I know most about. Um, sure. One of the biggest um, sort of movements we're seeing here at the moment is a movement towards both what I would call gender-blind casting and cross-gendered casting. So we are seeing a lot of productions um, that, <coughs> that either are changing characters who are male in Shakespeare's play. An example at the moment at the RSC, um, we'll have a female Mercutio in the next Romeo and Juliet here. Mm -hmm. We're both seeing characters' gender actually being kind of switched, but we're also seeing women playing traditionally male roles. There were three productions um, in London, um, uh, Julius Caesar, Henry IV and The Tempest, all of which were done with a kind of framing device of a women's prison to have an all-female cast. So mm -hmm. um, this has partly come from a really big push on behalf of um, female actors in in this country to say, look, you know, it's it's about time we got to play um, a few of the big Shakespearean roles, but also if you keep doing somewhere like the RSC or the Globe, if you keep doing Shakespeare plays um, and you know, pretty much any play you do, there'll be 13 male characters and two female characters because that's largely what Shakespeare's company had, probably about 13 male actors and a couple of boy apprentices who played the female roles. And that means that, uh, you know, for actors, that's not great in terms of employment. So that's that's what I think I'm seeing as the the biggest, um, most obvious movement at the moment. Um, for a long time, we've been seeing um, colorblind casting and accent blind casting um, in in this country as well. Um, and those movements are both continuing. Um, I, I'm seeing a little bit of disability blind casting, but not as much as one might um, uh, hope or think might happen in the future. That's really interesting, and and it's 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 uh, definitely a factor 
in the United States, and I can give you a, a clear example that would be of great interest to our, my students as, as well, and that is uh, that every year our students go to see a performance of a Shakespearean play at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Ontario. And uh, next, next year, or as we speak, <clears throat> I should say next season, the coming season, uh, Martha Henry will play Prospero uh-huh. in The Tempest. Uh, I, I guess, I, I believe Helen Mirren has, has played Prospero on film, but for Stratford, yeah. She'll be the the, the uh, festival's first uh, female Prospero, and they're also uh, casting uh, Julius Caesar title character uh, with a female uh, as well. And I had an opportunity to talk to representative of the festival on Shake and Bake Cast recently, and they said, y- "Yes, this is uh, this is something they're they're tra- they're attempting to." Uh, uh, that they're practicing. And uh, also, as I scan the other festivals in the United States, I, I see this is uh, definitely the case. So it's very interesting to me that it's, uh, that's also it's, it's, it's very much. Yeah. There's, there's a production in London of Julius Caesar at the moment, which has a female Cassius. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. In fact, I think, I believe they, uh, Stratford uh, in Ontario cast, Cassius with a, a female as well, but that's that's uh, very very interesting. Um, as I indicated to you, uh, my students be, be, while we we're chatting before the recording, yeah. um, my students or our students uh, study a Midsummer Night's Dream in Hamlet, and I was wondering if you could talk about. Um, contemporary UK productions of either of those plays. Yeah, I mean, I would, say, um, yes. I would say in terms of Hamlet in particular, most of the things that I was just talking about, we've seen um, happen with Hamlet. Um, we've had um, we've had a female Hamlet quite recently. Maxine Peake played um, Hamlet in Manchester, and. Um, she played Hamlet as a kind of androgynous figure, so she wasn't she wasn't um, turning Hamlet into a woman. So we didn't uh, change, you know, she didn't change all the he's to she's and and so forth. Um, but at the same time, there was no particular um, effort to hide the fact that she is a woman. Um, so we've seen we've seen a female Hamlet. We've also seen an all-black Hamlet recently in um, Stratford-upon-Avon, um, very successful production, which um, was set in Africa, um, and that's now touring this touring this country. Um, oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. that. That sounds fascinating. It was very, it was very, 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 very interesting, um, and. Um, and colourful and modern. Um, I suppose I would say that we're seeing quite a lot of modern dress productions. I think what's what's disappeared, I think, from... Um, or No, I won't say it's disappeared because that's not true. But what I'm always surprised when I do see now is a Shakespeare play that's kind of randomly set in a period that the director's picked because um, it kind of looks pretty um we do get productions like that but not so often now most of the time 
you'll expect to see the plays set either in the time in which they're set. So we've recently had in Stratford um, uh, all of Shakespeare's Roman plays with the actors all wearing togas, so all set in oh. ancient Rome. Um, Interesting. Uh, or you'll expect to see people in Elizabethan dress, you know, in, in, in the costume of the time in which the plays um, were written, or you'll expect to see it in modern dress. What we're seeing much less of, I think, is a kind of um, Hamlet randomly set in 1920 or 1930 or in the Victorian period um, for no apparent reason. Um, so <laughs> that, that I would say. Um, in terms of Midsummer Night's Dream, I don't know if there are any particular trends I've noticed with that play at the moment, but we did have a fascinating... Um, I guess almost experiment done in Stratford-upon-Avon for um, 2016, the, the anniversary of Shakespeare's death, the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death, where the Royal Shakespeare Company um, employed groups of amateur actors from around the country to play the mechanicals in an otherwise oh. professional production of Midsummer Night's Dream. So we had... Professional, oh, professional actors playing um, uh, uh, Hippolyta, Theseus, all of the lovers, um, uh, Titania, Oberon. And then um, these professional actors toured the country and wherever they went, different groups of amateurs would play the mechanicals and different groups of um, local children would play the fairies. Um, and oh. it was... One of the lovely things about it was, I think they called it um, Dream for the Nation. Um, and it it truly felt, it really felt inclusive. It felt, it felt, it felt very, very inclusive. And it worked very well, actually, having amateur actors play the amateur actors. Um, it was, it was. What, a, what an inspired idea. Yeah, and I think it. I, I think that everybody who took part got a great deal out of it, and certainly the, the, the school kids did as well. So that was a particularly um, maybe interesting, striking um, production um, that we've had here, that we've had here recently. Well, you know, as I th think about asking about Midsummer Night's Dream, it's, you know, fantastical nature has given it elasticity, mm -hmm. you know, for, for theater companies mm -hmm. for as it was written. Um, and, it, and I wouldn't expect things to pop out uh, as unusual in that way as as much. But I, I've never heard of something like that. And that, that sounded like a... Wait, it was a very, it was a, it was a really good experiment. Um, I suppose the other thing I would say with Midsummer Night's Dream, um, and this actually wasn't the case with the one that had the amateurs in. I think because it had the amateurs in it, but also because it had school children as fairies, um, it was something quite old-fashioned about it in some sense in terms of I mean obviously Victorian productions used to use children as fairies in Midsummer Night's Dream and um, there was something quite uh, gentle and quite naive about um, about it whereas actually I see Midsummer Night's Dream as quite a dark play and I think there had been a trend for sort of increasingly dark versions of the play 
where the fairies mm-hmm. are not benign in any way, um, where um, where they're quite terrifying, where we realise that actually going into the wood is not just some kind of jolly caper. It's actually really dangerous. Um, it's mm-hmm. um, where we actually realise that Demetrius is being deeply, deeply unpleasant to Helena, where we realise that Hermia is actually under the threat of death from her father. All of those sort of aspects, I think we've seen um, certainly over the process of the of the 20th and into the 21st century, I think we saw increasingly dark um, uh, studies of Midsummer Night's Dream. Interesting. I have one more question. I'm very interested in this as I collect the uh, Art yeah. Series 3 uh-huh. editions. Um, how can you tell us something about the, the nature of the Shakespeare and yeah. performance editions that sure. are, are sure. in yeah, so the, the, the performance editions, the idea of the performance editions was to was to make an edition that would be as easy and convenient and helpful for actors and indeed students rehearsing or reading the play aloud. So um, one of the things we talked to actors about was, yeah, the Arden, the Arden 3 series are wonderful, but... The notes are often really, really long. Um, they often refer you to another play. They often tell you all sorts of things about where the first use of that word was or whatever, which is fine if you're studying the play. But if you're an actor in a rehearsal room, really, you just want to know what a word means. And you want to be able to find that definition quickly. So what they do, the Arden Performance Editions, is they actually have the text on the left-hand page. And the right-hand page has two columns, one of which has really kind of straightforward, easy definitions. And the other side of which has various notes that tell um, the reader quite clearly where there's a textual variant being used. Um, Also give help with pronunciation of difficult words or names. Um, Gives indication of um, certain metrical structures like anapests um, to help actors with scanning lines, telling them where there's an irregular line or a short line. so that's that's the, the the basic idea was to work out what it is that would help actors in a rehearsal room, and try and put that on the page in a way that is as easily and quickly accessible as possible. Well, that's that's uh, and if Arden is doing it and you're working on it, I'm sure these are uh, fantastic texts that will be useful to actors. Thanks so much for uh, giving us your time on Shake and Bakecast today. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much.